0: Roger that, houston All systems
1: 5 by 5 But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do no. or oh, do not. There is no try. Welcome to the nerd fest podcast. Today we've got
2: Dan Watkins, Peter Johnson, Ian Mayer, John Farley,
1: and I'm Hazel Burton. Welcome to another edition of our remote uh, Nerdfest podcast On the show today we have got our film buff or film bluff quiz Where we try to outwit each other with entertainment trivia We've also got the return of Shameful Gap And one of our discerning nerds has never seen Galaxy Quest
2: Who is it Hazel? Which one of us?
1: We'll find out later on So let's start the show
0: I had the delight of listening to Dan rap yesterday. That was amazing. Mm. He performed uh, the, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme,
2: but reworked to be about, was it the Charles II's Banishment? It was indeed, yeah. It was a 17th century Fresh Prince remix. It, it was excellent. It was
1: amazing, Dan. It was truly a work of art.
2: Thank you. That's what four weeks of lockdown have done to me.
1: (laughs) So if anyone um, listening loves their history and they love their comedy, check out the ranking on Facebook. Dan is doing a live at lunchtime, every weekday lunchtime, where he compares two royals, which is decided upon by a subject from his fans. So do check that out. It is so, so good. You learn a lot and you laugh a lot.
0: Unlike this podcast where we do neither.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is everyone okay, though? How's everyone doing?
0: I'm enjoying life. I'm enjoying the house that I live in and the road and the park at the end of my road. And as far as I'm concerned, that's been the entire universe for about four and a half weeks now. But I've not gone completely
2: insane yet. I've been discovering how far I can travel within Edinburgh on foot within an hour.
1: And how far have you got?
2: I've been all over the place. I'm going to try and walk to the sea soon, I think.
0: You live pretty much in a city centre, don't you, in Edinburgh? Yes. So h- how different is it just going out on the streets? Is it just like a zombie apocalypse
2: world? or It's not 28 days later. It's a bit quieter. There's certainly less traffic and there are fewer pedestrians, but it's not eerily silent. Mm-hmm. Helps with the background noise while we're recording remotely. <laughs> <laughs> I've...
3: Uh... I've taken up juggling and I'm in a first territorial dispute with my cats. (laughs) But other than that, I'm fine.
0: (laughs) Is it safe to say the cat is winning?
4: No. What viewers can't see is the slightly manic look in his eyes when he said that.
3: (laughs) No ill
0: effects here.
3: It's all good.
0: You're not wearing any clothes here, I noticed on the webcam. (laughs) And you're covered in cat
3: scratch marks. You can't wear clothes. The cats will know.
1: (laughs) And Peter, you're just drinking. Yes, that's how (laughs) I plan to get
3: through it. If I can't go out to drink, I'll have to do it at home. Solid plan. I do find myself cooking a lot more. Like this morning, I got up and decided to make pasta sauce. And I'm not sure why. (laughs) The cats told you to. Yeah, no, they're not getting it. The bastards.
1: (laughs) What kind of pasta sauce have you made?
3: We got a vegetable box, because that's what you do in the lockdown. And in it were some cherry tomatoes. So we roasted the cherry tomatoes with a little olive oil, salt, garlic, and balsamic vinegar, and then just added a little bit more salt and pepper to season, blitzed it with a stick blender, and I've made like a jar of rich roasted cherry tomato sauce.
2: (laughs) Do you do deliveries?
0: Food porn is my new porn at the minute. I've been sort of watching MasterChef, because actual porn is now... Don't don't spoil cookery shows for me, (laughs) Joe. Please. It's all I have left. (laughs) Actual porn is ruined by the fact that the participants have to stay two meters apart at all the time. So it's, <laughs> it's less fun. So they just throw food at each other. Is that, is <laughs> yes. that how it works?
1: Should we do our film buff or film bluff quiz?
3: Yes, yes let's. let's. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> awesome. So, for anyone who's not listened to this before, what happens is that we have all got three facts. However, one of them has been deviously made up and we've got to try and work out which one the made up fact is. Take it away, Dan.
2: Okay, what I'm going to do is turn my video off so my facial expressions don't give it away. Oh, (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Might as well make it fiendish. So my buff or bluff is based on the fact that after getting Disney Plus recently, we rewatched all five Pirates of the Caribbean films. You have a greatest sympathy. I was surprised by how much I actually enjoyed number 4 rewatching it on Disney Plus. I was expecting it to be terrible, but actually when there's no distractingly bad pop-up 3D, it's not a bad film number 4. It's not a patch on the first one, but it's certainly the best of the sequels.
1: We're not believing you, but do do go on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> bluff. <yeah. laughs> but that's the bluff. <laughs> it's not the bluff no. Um but if you're at a loss for things to watch, watch Pirates 1 and Pirates 4. You can skip 2, 3, and 5. So this inspired my Buffer Bluff to be about the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Number one, Kira Knightley was only 19 when the first Pirates film was shot. Number two, as of 2018, the third Pirates film was the longest film Disney has ever released. And number three... Disney were initially unhappy with Johnny Depp's performance and thought it was ruining the film.
4: I'm sure the third one's right, because I, I remember hearing stories about that at the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he had to really, really fight for that. Gore It's interesting
0: that they went from fighting against it in the first one to possibly overindulging it in the sequel. Possibly, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I have a feeling Kira Knightley might have been a bit younger than 19. I think she was 17 when it was first shot.
0: So, it was only a couple of years after Bend It Like Beckham, which I think was the first Kira Knightley film, and
2: she yeah. was. 14. Fairly young in that.
1: So, the first Pirates um, came out in 2003.
2: Just, just to interrupt, I think you'll find Kira Knightley was in The Phantom Menace before she was in Bend It Like Beckham.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Of course, yes.
2: <laughs> That's all. I'll go away again now. Who can forget that <laughs> dazzling performance?
1: <laughs> so. First Pirates two thousand and three. They would have shot it a year or two before that. I'm trying to. I think she's about my age, which is the grand old age of thirty four. Who's good at (laughs) maths?
0: So seventeen minus thirty four is about nineteen, isn't it? No, it's not. No, younger, maybe. I think
1: I'm not googling anything, Dan. Hmm. I'm just getting my calculator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what we're saying
4: is that Orlando Bloom should be in jail. If she's your age, she'd 17 years ago, she'd have been 17.
1: Yes, I've just realised that it's a very obvious answer that <laughs> I've just used my calculator for. So I do think she was 17, not 19. And that was 2003 when the movie came out. She would have been younger when it was filmed. So I'm going for that uh, through mathematical... <laughs> for mathematical reasons, I'm going for that.
3: I do know Johnny Depp wanted to go a lot further with Jack Sparrow and have him have problems with his nose his nose had been cut off with a jewel and was reattached to him so he'd have like a bright blue nose and so he'd go through the film afraid of things like pepper so he wouldn't sneeze (laughs) (laughs) but i do believe that one's
2: true about the performance what was the length of the film again what was what was that question dan uh the statement was as of 2018 the third pirates film was the longest film disney has ever released and how long was it in minutes that would be telling.
0: It was very long. We decided to watch a film last night and one of the things was it was quite late so we didn't want to watch a particularly long film. The film we did watch was two and a half hours but on our <laughs> server where we have all our films you can sort by length and we were amazed to discover that Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is longer than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Completely irrelevant but it just <laughs> that just seemed <laughs> long to me.
1: Can anyone think of any particularly lengthy Disney films before that?
2: I mean, it's pre-Endgame and things. Yeah. 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 That's why I've specified 2018, because I'm not sure whether you class Endgame as Disney. I think you have to, right? Mm. But it doesn't have the Disney castle at the start of the film or anything like that, so it's not Hmm. visually a Disney film.
0: Mm. I think number one is the bluff in that case then. Yeah. I think Keira Knightley was actually younger.
2: I am
3: completely on board with Hazel's maths, but I'm going to go with the second one anyway. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with John
4: and Hazel. Yeah.
2: And my video returns, I think. There I am. He's smiling like his bluff does. (laughs) Uh, I can reveal that Hazel's maths was accurate.
1: Yay, first time for everything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Kira Knightley was 17 when the first Pirates film was shot, and her mum had to be present for the entire shoot because she was under 18
3: nice holiday for mrs knightley
1: she did a film called was it the hole a couple of years earlier when she was 15 and she got her boobies out was her mum there for that (laughs) i don't know (laughs) but yeah no there's a big controversy at the time where she she just she just went like that (laughs) i don't know why i'm doing that (laughs) (laughs) Um. and uh, yeah she's only 15
3: ah yes who can forget Karen Knightley's boob hole controversy?
1: <laughs> my my
0: thing with Karen Knightley's boobs was the film that she was in, where they famously boobed her up on the poster, and she kicked mm,
1: King Arthur made a
0: massive fuss about King Arthur. That was it, yes. Where they'd photoshopped sort of some page three knockers onto her <laughs> svelte frame, yes. And you know, good on her for actually raising it as an issue, yeah. You know, particularly sort of it was a few years ago when it was perhaps more widespread than it is now.
2: Yeah. Um so that was that was my bluff. And I can reveal that as of 2018 Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End was the longest film that Disney has released 169 minutes. Wow of which Jesus of which at least an hour could have been cut from having watched it <laughs> recently. Mm. I wonder how long it feels like. We watched it in phases. But there are bits of a good film in that third one. It's just buried under lots and lots and lots of plot. Mm. Most of which is unnecessary. And Disney were initially unhappy with Johnny Depp's performance. Uh, the then CEO, Michael Eisner, apparently was confused by whether Jack Sparrow was supposed to be drunk or gay. His words. <laughs> so easy to get those two confused.
0: Are they two mutually exclusive?
2: I don't know. Talk to the Disney shareholders. It does make you wonder about his life that that
3: was the comparison they <laughs> made.
1: Who wants to go next?
0: I have some Superman before bluffs. Mm -hmm. I was reading an excellent book called Superman vs. Hollywood. Essentially the history of Superman in mediums other than comic books. So it goes all the way back to the radio series in the 40s, which actually is interesting in itself in that a lot of the stuff that we know as Superman now didn't come from the comic books. So I think Kryptonite and Jimmy Olsen and so on were all created as part of the radio series. It stops at the release of Superman Returns. So it covers a good sort of 60 years of Superman history. It's a really good book and really highly recommended. Fact number one is Caitlyn Jenner auditioned and screen tested for the role of Superman. Fact number two is that Brian De Palma pitched for a Superman film in the early 90s but he failed the pitch when he, kept, he turned up and he kept referring to the character as Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, in the late 50s, a pilot was shot for The Adventures of Superpup, a live-action TV series in which little people wore costumes and giant dog heads and played characters including Bark Kent and Perry Bite.
2: <laughs> 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 and was Bark worse than Bite? <laughs>
3: so there's a great history of uh, super pets, and you know, crypto the super dog, and so on. I feel like that could be quite possible. Brian De Palma referring to Superman as Spider Man.
1: I feel feels... like that's the one that John made up.
3: I mean, the original Superman film. Many directors nearly did it, including yeah. Sam Peckinpah, which is an insane Whoa. choice. I think that was before he was an incomprehensible alcoholic, but he still managed to film Convoy in that condition. Hmm, what was the first one again? The
0: first was that Caitlyn Jenner auditioned and screen-tested for the role of Superman. When she
4: was Bruce,
2: presumably. When she was an, yes, Olim- yeah. an Olympian so, athlete. Yeah, so this was the 1970s.
1: I can believe that.
2: Can you give us any other information about other people who might have auditioned to be Superman? Was it just actors or were there lots of athletes trying out? For- Muhammad Ali
0: auditioned. Despite having lost to Superman in a boxing match in the comics a few years
4: previously, that didn't put him off. Despite being black, which you would have thought would be a problem? Not necessarily. Given the time, that does seem weird. No, but he
0: he certainly did, yeah. Um,
4: There was uh, Johnny Weissmuller played Tarzan and things, so there's a history of some of that. mm -hmm. He was an Olympic swimmer.
0: Uh, Robert Redford was considered for a while, but they decided that they wanted to go with no one, because if you see Robert Redford in a Superman costume, you've seen Robert Redford. Uh, the audition, pretty much every actor under the sun.
4: The Kryptonian sun.
0: Yes. <laughs> when did you say the um, Super Pets was?
4: So super the Adventures Pups. of
0: Super Pups. So it was in the 1950s and it was, do you remember the George Reeves Superman TV series in the 50s? Mm-hmm. It was when that was running towards its end and they were thinking that that was going to be cancelled and they were looking for ways of keeping it going. So it was filmed on the set of the 50s TV show with people in costumes and giant fake dog heads on.
1: He's done his background research.
0: He has.
4: Mm. Or has or he? made it up. <laughs> Put it this way, is it easier to make something up rather than do background research? <laughs> Therefore, I
1: feel like John would have said, dinner <laughs> if it had have been made up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Was that supposed to be a Yorkshire accent there? <laughs> don't <Dunner>. know.
1: <Dunner.
4: laughs> do we know anything about Brian De Palma's pitch for Superman?
0: Very little. It was sort of in the late 90s, so... Case in point. <laughs>
1: Case in point.
0: Yeah. Know. <laughs> around the time of Nicolas Cage, Superman film. So he was like one of a number of directors. There was him, there was Mac G, uh, Michael Bay, um, before they went with Tim Burton.
3: Shaka Kapoor as well, who did uh, yes. Elizabeth?
0: Ridworth. Brett, what's his... Uh, what's the guy called who did Rush Hour?
3: Brett, Brett Ratner. Ratner.
0: Brett Ratner came very close. J.J. Abrams wrote a script that Max was going to direct, called Superman Flyby. So there were lots of different ones going around.
3: I've read that script and I've read the Kevin Smith script.
0: The Kevin Smith script is great, um, albeit the <laughs> <laughs> um, in space
3: <laughs>
4: begs to differ. Well, there's a, lot of, there's,
0: a, there's a lot of Superman lore in there, but there's also a lot of crazy John Peters shit. Who was the producer on all of these, and he was obsessed with Superman not flying, and. <sighs> fighting a giant spider was the two yeah. things that I insisted on having in the script. Uh, but Brian De was brought in on the back of
3: Mission Impossible.
1: Yeah. Okay. Which mm. obviously
0: made him sort of commercially viable again as
3: a director for a while in the nineties. So that doesn't sound like that was the era when you may associate Brian De Palma with a lot of cocaine. So no, I'm perhaps saying he perhaps wouldn't <laughs> have made the mistake yeah, of <laughs> calling Superman Spider-Man.
2: I think I'm going with De Palmer as well. Um, because I feel that he was an avid watcher of the new adventures of Lois and Clark and would have known <laughs> not to confuse Superman and Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, De Palma for me as well.
4: I'm going to pick uh, Caitlyn Jenner. Um,
0: Peter is incorrect. <laughs> uh, Caitlyn Jenner did audition and screen test for Superman, along with Muhammad Ali and many others. Um, Brian De Palma never mistook Spider-Man for Superman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, if you want to see the adventures of Pup. It's available on the Superman box set of the first four films as a, as an extra.
4: Ah. Is it as bad as it sounds? It's awful. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, there's, there's plenty of clips on YouTube as well.
1: Uh,
0: Has I- anyone seen um, Hollywoodland?
1: No. I have. a it? while
4: ago.
0: Yeah, it's, it's worth a watch. Basically, it's the, about the death of George Reeves, who at the time was thought to have committed suicide. But it turns out he was possibly having an affair with a gangster's wife and may have been oddly enough assassinated for wanting to finish the affair because the gangster had had enough of the wife and George Reeve was making the wife quite happy. And when he (laughs) wanted to call it off, the gangster got annoyed. So it may be be the first case of somebody being assassinated for failing to have an affair with somebody's wife.
4: (laughs) I have a buff or bluff for you, which is on actors' demands when shooting a movie. Excellent. During the shooting of Gravity, George Clooney demanded that he have exclusive access to a covered lap pool and a relaxation room lit with aromatic candles to be redecorated a different colour each day of filming. (laughs) And for the second one, for his action sequences, Tom Cruise always demands that he gets to wear a custom-made thong, which provides him comfort and flexibility. These thongs must be made from soft and stretchy material to allow him unrestricted movement. The costume designers and wardrobe staff typically have to make well over 50 thongs per movie, as Cruz prefers a new one every time.
0: Understandably
4: sir. <laughs> and for the third one, in the children's film Quigley, Gary Busey plays a software tycoon who dies in a car crash, goes to heaven, and is reincarnated as a dog. Busey refused to continue filming until the set designers fixed heaven. He asked the set designers to change the sofa because it was all wrong and made them remove the mirrors because heaven doesn't have mirrors. Does Boosie know what heaven looks like? <laughs> In 1988, he claims he had a near-death experience and visited heaven.
1: <laughs> now, now I, I...
2: I have heard one of these three before, which helps me narrow it down. Hazel, were you about to say something similar?
1: No, I don't know for sure, but I have spent a lot of time staring at Tom Cruise's posterior and I can't detect any visible pant lines, so I'm led to believe that he <laughs> does wear a thong. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: George Clooney doesn't strike me as the sort of person to have crazy demands like that. Yeah. A, an espresso coffee maker would presumably Ooh. be all he wanted.
1: Yeah, that one struck me as a little odd.
2: You could yeah. literally tell me any crazy fact about Gary Busey, and
3: I'd probably believe it. I definitely believe the Gary Busey one.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that seems correct to me. George yeah. Clooney doesn't come across as a massive diva.
1: Maybe he's just got a good PR machine behind him, though.
0: Perhaps, yeah. But also as somebody who directs and produces a lot, I would imagine once you start seeing it from both sides, you pull it amped down on the ridiculous yes. demands a bit.
1: What was the film where he punched the director for being too demanding on his uh, actors and stunt actors?
0: Would that be Three Kings? Three Kings, yeah. Yes. With David Ayer? Yeah. David salt
1: That's right. He felt he wasn't being fair to the casting crew, mm. so he does strike me as being more mellow than that.
3: There's another interesting thing about point one. I, in fact, I can see a bit of logic in, in the first question. If, if the room is being painted every day, it would stink. Therefore, the scented candles make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's nonsense. I I'm... I'm uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: And uh, what was the second one?
3: Tom Cruise's thongs.
0: How could I forget Tom Cruise's thong?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do think the Tom Cruise fact is, is true. I hope it is, at least. Um, so I'll probably go for George Clooney as the bluff.
0: I'm going to go for George Clooney, but with a caveat that I think maybe Sandra Ooh. Bullock asked for that on the set.
1: I feel like it's a true story, but yeah. about someone else.
0: I know Peter requests a relaxation room for the podcast.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I need it after a podcast
3: funnily enough i request scented candles in my thong but i'm gonna go for <laughs> late <laughs> only occasionally i don't know what you could tell me about gary Busey where i'd stop believing it if he you know if he said he could see through time or he once ate a brick any of these things would be fine so i, I i'm definitely going with that yeah of course he's seen heaven I'm fine and remembers how it was decorated tom cruise having multiple thongs it's weird because that's actually weirder than wanting like scented candles and a bit of space to chill out. But I'm still gonna go for George Clooney being the bluff.
1: The only thing that's making me hesitant about it is like, how would we know? Would he actually admit it, or has a devious costume designer let it slip? <laughs> no pun intended with the thong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there must be a thong budget on the on the production yes. sheet.
1: But no, I think I'll still. I
3: did once audition for Tom Cruise's thong double. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't didn't go well.
2: (laughs) Uh, Dan, what's it going to be? I think it's Clooney for me as well. He's not in gravity all that much, and it would seem like a waste of resources for every day of the comparatively few days he was on set to accede to those demands. So I don't think they would have kept to them. So, Clooney. So everyone's picked Clooney. That is the fake one.
4: But it's only what he asked for that's different. What he actually asked for was a private landscape garden, a basketball court, a hot tub, and a custom-made beach hut that was built right beside his trailer, which (laughs) cost $125,000 to do. Wow. Wow. So your reasons were wrong.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And did he get it?
4: Yeah, he did. I think less of Mr. Clooney now. (laughs) By comparison... During the filming of Men in Black 3, Will Smith demanded a gigantic trailer that housed two bedrooms, two baths and a private movie room. It could also turn into a double-decker in a matter of about 30 seconds and was so big that local residents complained it blocked their sunlight. It cost about $2 million to buy. Smith had a New York apartment a few minutes away.
2: (laughs) It was worth it for Men in Black 3, though.
0: (laughs) I wish he stayed in his trailer a little more during that film. (laughs)
3: <laughs> all right well we need you for men in black three is the script garbage yes okay i demand a transforming <laughs> double-decker bus. <bird. laughs> i have some buffs and bluffs if uh, if you're interested we very are. interested okay so my buff or bluff regards actors who've appeared in video games famous film actors so this is something that me and peter have a little bit of experience in dealing with actors uh-huh. for video games so best actor oscar winner rami malek known for Mr. Robot and the Pacific, appeared in the 2015 survival horror game Until Dawn, which is a very cinematic love letter to the slasher genre of movies. He plays a character called Josh, who is known for his hilarious pranks. And the cast also features Heroes star Hayden Panettiere, who plays Samantha, the hero of the game. And I believe it's on sale on the PlayStation Store right now in the UK. Fact number two. The Mass Effect series features performances from many famous actors, including Seth Green, Marina Sirtis, Martin Sheen Lance Hendrickson and even astronaut Buzz Aldrin but did you know that the character of Samara the Asari Justicar is played by an actress and singer called Maggie Baird now this is Billie Eilish's mother interestingly Samara's loyalty mission which is a mission you undertake to um, get, the, get these characters more on your side is about chasing down her wayward daughter and killing her <laughs> did she have stupid hair? Uh, she's had a blue face so <laughs> I don't know if does that... she
0: have a bad boyfriend?
3: uh several bad guys yeah uh, she's called Morritt. i don't know anything about billy eilish <laughs> nor does ian <laughs> i know a little bit <laughs> so the final fact horror again uh, killing eve star jodie coma has appeared in two video games in 2009's dead space extraction which is the Wii version of the survival horror franchise she played Lexime weller who's an irish engineer on the ill-fated starship usg ishimura as well as three or four other voices She's also in Fable 2, in the 2008 game, where her role is credited as voice on IMDb. (laughs) Uh, For info, the name cast on Fable 2 includes Zoe Wanamaker, Stephen Fry, and Julia Sawala. So what do we think?
2: Hmm.
0: Well, the rest of the names you said for Fable 2, I think are correct. But she would have been very young, 2008.
2: What was the first thing we saw Jodie Comer in? Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Hmm. Doesn't help.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She was in an ITV drama where she played the other woman.
3: Often, and I'm sure Peter can attest to this, when you're recording voices, you get people in for one character, but if there's other pickup lines, you often get them doing small things as well. Uh, you don't end up with actors who do a bunch of different voices, basically, and you, you see lots of people who get thrown into the mix.
0: I think the Billie Eilish one is probably correct, because I know her mother is an actress. What was the first one again?
3: Uh, Rami Malek was in a game called Before Dawn, which is a kind of love letter to the slasher movie genre.
0: Now, I want to play that game, but I haven't. <laughs> so I couldn't tell you if Rami Malek is in it or not, but I'm going to go with that one as the bluff.
4: The Billy Eilish one was uh, nicely indirect in terms of how the question was put together. <laughs> and I can believe Jodie Comer was in stuff without you sort of knowing who she was at the time. Yeah, I'm going for Rami Malek as well.
2: I am going to go with Jodie Comer for my one because I think Ian has just been enjoying the new series of Killing Eve. I haven't started
4: it yet. Is it good?
2: Eh. Uh, Closer to season two than season one for me so far. Yeah, unsurprisingly. What about you, Hazel?
1: Oh, I don't know hardly anything about video games. I think I'm leaning towards Rami Malek just because he would have been incredibly busy around that time. That's my only methodology in my madness.
3: That's two for Rami Malek and two for Jodie Comer. Uh, the Mass Effect question, that is in fact true. It is uh, Billy Irish's mother, who is a very experienced voice actress and she plays a fabulous role in the Mass Effect games. She also plays the voice of her daughter in that game and you can either kill her daughter in the mission or let her daughter kill her mother and that character replaces her. So you end up with a crew of aliens, including this murderous psychopath, uh, psychic blue lady, which is interesting. Rami Malik was in Survival Horror Game Until Dawn. Yeah. And so the bluff was uh, Jodie Comer, who, to my knowledge, has never been in video games.
4: Uh, Dan's logic is correct.
3: There you Yay. go. You record a game and then a couple of years later you go, oh, look, there's the guy in Harry Potter who I had playing a shopkeeper. (laughs) uh, It just happens. Mark Hamill appeared in the Wing
0: Commander games and I think he was the first big star to pop up in a computer game.
3: I wanted to do the the quiz on Oscar winners who've appeared in computer games, but it turns out there's actually tons and tons and tons of them. It's a a very, very popular and no doubt lucrative sideline for a lot of famous Hmm. actors.
4: Can I remember one of these video disc games called um, Ripper, I think it was, that starred Dennis Hopper? Yes. And he obviously had in his contract that he had to be called Hollywood
3: legend Dennis Hopper
4: every time it mentioned his name anywhere, <laughs> and it got quite ridiculous
3: at times. There's a Minority Report game, and uh, more than one, I think, Mission Impossible games, which are licensed from the films, but don't have Tom Cruise's likeness. And so in the Minority Report game, you play this like blonde, giant muscle guy, which is really <laughs> weird. <laughs> If you look at the
0: uh, Back to the Future pinball game, which is an excellent pinball machine, they've obviously not paid for Michael J. Fox's license. So they've got somebody who looks as close to Michael J. Fox as they can get without encroaching copyright. It looks like, do you remember Robocop, where the guy falls in a vat of toxic waste and his his face melts? It basically looks like a toxic waste-melted Michael J. Fox.
4: Maybe they should have got Eric Stoltz. (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
1: So I have been reading a book called Renegade Women in Film and TV, and it is effectively a tribute to the trailblazing women who change the way movies and TV shows are made. So my film buff or film bluff is facts that I have taken from the book, one of which I have made up. The first one, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were the first female team to lead the weekend update desk for Saturday Night Live. Catherine Bigelow was originally a painter, training at the Whitney Museum alongside Susan Sontag, Robert Rauschenberg and Richard Serra. And number three, Mary Pickford, who was America's original sweetheart. uh, She went on to have her own production division within a studio and unprecedented creative control, 50% of the net profits from her films. However, the public still saw her as this chastened figure with golden locks. So when she cut off all of her hair at the age of 36, studio head Adolf Zucker wrote a note to over 30 film directors asking them not to hire her anymore.
2: I can believe that one with Mary Pickford, just from previous Buffer Bluffs that Hazel has done about Women in the Silent Era... I have not heard of any of those people Catherine Bigelow went to school with. Could you give us any more information on any of those guys and what they do?
1: They're all painters.
2: (laughs) But she turned out not to be. Yeah. I know that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did do Weekend Update when they were on SNL. I don't know whether they were the first all-female duo.
0: So that makes sense to me that they probably were the first all-female pairing. Mary Pickford, I think that might be the bluff, because I know, obviously, she became very, very famous. Was Mary Pickford one of the people that formed United Artists? Yes. I think she was. Yeah. But I don't remember hearing that specific story about her cutting her hair, and that's what led to a fall in her career.
4: So she could wear a wig.
0: Yeah, I find it difficult to see why that would trigger somebody saying, don't work for this woman because she's had a haircut.
1: Everyone saw her as this sort of damsel in distress figure she wouldn't be seen like that anymore by her fans oh. now that she's had her hair cut so the studio head said just don't hire her; it's not worth it
0: I've not heard that story but it does ring true I- I'm surprised that I haven't heard it so I'm gonna go for that as a bluff and I think the bluff is that they did stop hiring her but not for that specific reason
2: I'll go low.
4: I'll go for Mary Pickford just because it's it's a th- It's a theme of things Hazel chooses, so it's possible that <laughs> that's
3: influenced her story
4: <laughs> to, that she's To make invented. a point
3: <laughs> okay, to complete the set, I'll go for Tina Fey and Amy Polar, who I love dearly, but I don't know if I don't know any of them, but I don't know if uh there'd ever been a um female co-host on the uh, weekend
1: okay um so that is true they were the first female team to lead the weekend update um and i know ian you've just started watching parks and recreation with amy polar and it just gets better and better so that's kind of what inspired me to choose that one
3: i love leslie nope
1: yes she's awesome she's amazing So Catherine Bigelow, uh, yes, she was a painter, but she felt suffocated by art world formalism, which is what inspired her to leave and go to Columbia University's graduate film programme instead. I made up the Mary Pickford uh, uh, fact completely. Actually, I did a, a huge disservice to the studio head, Adolf Zucker, because he was very supportive of her. Um, she, Mary Pickford first went to him to complain that Charlie Chaplin was earning a lot more money than her whilst making fewer films. So she calmly explained her worth and that's when she ended up with her own production division and creative control. And then, yes, later uh, setting up United Artists with Charlie Chaplin. Also, fun fact, she did cut her hair off. Um, it didn't result in any uh, uh, fewer rolls, but some of her curls were purchased from the ladies at Susie's French whorehouse.
0: So you could hire a whore with a Mary Pickford curl.
1: You could, yeah. Excellent.
0: They're <laughs> not so much these days. What a, what a
3: great time that must have been.
0: <laughs> oh, do you remember when we could go visit prostitutes, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Those were the days.
3: Oh, dear.
1: Uh, and now you have to t- keep two meters away from them. <laughs>
3: Thinking about food, apparently.
1: Okay, so now it's time for our shameful gap feature. And this is where one of us nerds has not seen a very famous nerdy film, watches it for the very first time, and then comes onto the pod to talk about how they found it. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about galaxy quest because i've never seen it
3: Shame! (laughs) Shame.
1: i know i know i do apologize (laughs) let me tell you a little bit about it first just to you know set the scene galaxy quest is a comedy action sci-fi film and it was released in december 1999 in america the plot is that an alumni cast of a space opera television series called galaxy quest Have to play their roles for real when they're visited by actual aliens who think that the series is an accurate documentary, and they then have to defend both Earth and the alien race from a warlord called Saris. It's a parody and a homage to science fiction films and TV, particularly Star Trek. Um, And indeed, the the serial number of the ship that's in the film, which is called the Protector, is NTE. 3120 oh, and NTE stands for Not the Enterprise. <laughs> it stars Tim Allen, uh, Sigourney Weaver, the late great Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub who plays Miriam's dad in The Marvelous Mrs Maisel and is absolutely amazing. So I was delighted when I saw him. It's also got Sam Rockwell and Daryl Mitchell in there as well. The first scene is at a sci-fi convention, because that's how the stars of Galaxy Quest make their money nowadays. Tim Allen's character seems to still thrive on his star-making turn as the captain, but the novelty is probably wearing off by now for most of the other cast members, so there's a bit of tension there. At the convention, Jason is approached by a group called the Thermians who ask him for his help. Uh, Jason thinks that they're asking him to make a personal appearance at an event and agrees to be picked up the next morning. Um, When they do, Jason is actually horribly hungover and doesn't realise that he's being transported to a working replica of the protector ship from the TV show. He thinks it's all pretty cool um, and he starts like issuing hungover orders like he used to do in the TV show, which is very, very funny. But he soon starts to realise that he's not making an appearance, he's actually under real life threat. He then convinces the rest of the cast members to join him and it's then made clear that the Thermians have been watching the Galaxy Quest TV show, but they don't have any understanding of TV or indeed the concept of lying. So they think that they're watching a historical documentary, and then they restructured their entire society to reflect the show's values. So after a series of mishaps, Jason, the captain, eventually explains to the leader of the Thermians, who's called Mathasar, that he isn't the captain of the Protector, and he's got to try and explain the concept of lying to him. And that scene is, is probably one of the most heartbreaking scenes I've ever seen on screen, genuinely, because Mathisar is, is, is so good through and through. And he can't imagine anyone taking advantage of anything. And you can just see every ounce of disappointment as his hero becomes not what he thought he was. And it's, it's all sketched on his face. And I did let, like I let out an audible. Oh, but he was like <laughs> trying to take it all in. It was it was genuinely heartbreaking the cast members, they don't leave the Thermians hanging. They try and formulate a plot to defeat Saris with the aid of a Galaxy Quest uberfan on Earth and his network of friends with intimate knowledge of the show. I genuinely loved this film. (laughs) It was the perfect antidote in these dark times um so if you haven't seen galaxy quest in a while i do urge you to stick it on and allow your troubles to disappear for two hours i thought it was a really witty uh, and polished script i didn't think there was any wasted characters or, or wasted scenes i also thought that tim allen was perfect as a captain because i can imagine him being the sort of person who would piss you off if you spent a lot of time in his company <laughs>
4: He's obviously doing William Shatner with that.
1: Yeah, um, but you you probably would still want to save him uh, from an alien invasion. So he's annoying, but not to the point where you'd like, leave him to die. I think that's what I took from it. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that annoyed me a little bit was the fact that Gwen's uniform appeared to get ever more revealingly shredded. <laughs> throughout the movie and i know that is a nod to the genre um i just thought it could be a little bit more obvious that it was a nod because i was like screaming for sigawn weaver to say something about how degrading it was but she didn't say that much really
4: there's some weird continuity issues with that as well because in one scene it's perfectly intact and then the next scene you don't really see why and then it's sort of been torn yeah and I think there's a scene they removed that they never then explain.
1: Yeah, there was no reason for it, which I thought was just, just a little bit annoying. But apart from that, a damn good romp.
2: <laughs> who was your favourite character?
1: Favourite character? Alan
2: Rickman's the one who sticks in my mind. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but yeah. I remember enjoying him and Tony Shalhoub. The most
1: yeah um I, I would very much agree with that I, would, I think Alan Rickman's probably my favorite because he's playing it straight at the beginning and he's like, "Oh isn't this all completely ridiculous? but even he, as cynical as he is, and he and no one plays cynical better than Alan Rickman, he becomes invested in it, and he truly wants to save everybody as well, which Is what I wanted to come on to as well, because the documentary, which came out in 2019, is like this 20 year anniversary celebration of Galaxy Quest. It talks about what it all comes down to is that it's like this love letter to the fans. Like, how amazing would it be for you to get a call from Captain Kirk and say, the Enterprise is in trouble, I need your help. So it addresses the argument that, you know, what is the value of this silly thing that we do, uh, which is called making movies, How? why are they worth anything? And we can mock them all we want, but eventually we all get sucked into it. And that's the magic of the movies uh, and believing in a fantasy.
4: It treads a really good line between uh, making fun of it and also you can tell that there's a sort of a heart and affection for the source material that they're feeling as well. Yes. It's not in a sort of nerdy way. It's not all about specific references and things, but just, you know, they love it
3: really. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I didn't watch it for a while because I... Assumed it was going to be, to some extent, like a piss take of Star Trek fans and Star Trek and thing, which it is at all. It's, it's very much a, a love letter to fandom and that sort of TV show.
1: Yeah.
4: Plot-wise, though, it's um, it's very much like a sci-fi version of Three Amigos. Ooh. In that movie, you have three guys who are like movie stars as cowboys, who are asked by a
2: village to come and rescue the village by behaving like their movie characters. And it's
4: essentially yeah. the same plot. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, Three Amigos is another one I need to get around to re-watching. And there was also a Futurama episode with the cast of the original Star Trek series <laughs> that did something sort of similar. A fantastic episode. Uh, this is a few years after Galaxy Quest. The cast members of Star Trek were being forced to play their characters by an evil entity. I always enjoy that sort of thing. Three Amigos is one of my favourite 80s comedies, and Galaxy Quest hit all of the same sweet spots. In that balance that you talked about between a loving homage and having fun with the concept,
4: do you think this is why uh, Tim Allen got the
2: part of Buzz Lightyear? Probably not, because Toy Story was, I think, three or four years before was this. It? All yes. right, okay. Yeah. Really?
0: Wow. <laughs> came out
1: came out in ninety uh, five. Toy Story and this is ninety yeah.
0: nine. Oh. So, do you think Toy Story is the reason that he got this role? In-
4: <laughs> <laughs> <podcast>? <laughs> <laughs> Oddly, it has parallels to the newest episode of Red Dwarf as well. Has anyone seen that?
0: I haven't seen that yet, though.
4: No. Because no. in there, it's all about cat people who still see Lister as a god and expect him to behave in the way that legend has told them he will. And he has to kind of let him down gently. So, you know, there's sort of threads, but in both stories, they're quite similar.
3: I clearly remember really enjoying Alan Rickman in it because he's kind of the British thesp who's been cast in this series, which he thinks is beneath him. And so then when he finds out there's real aliens, his first instinct is to try and find a pub. Which I just thought was like a sort of perfect (laughs) comedy note. But another kind of fact I know about this, it was a page one rewrite. It was a spec script written by someone. It's called Captain Starlight. And the script was bought and then the concept was extracted from it. And that script wasn't used at all. The writers actually never saw like a word of that script. But they were just given the concept to write. Which strikes me as the most soul-destroying thing for a writer, for a writer oh, to yeah. ever happen to a writer. That you've put your heart and soul into this thing for it to get bought, not produced, and someone else get credit for your idea. I yeah. think
0: the most heart-destroying thing along those lines was um, My Stepmother Is An Alien, the yeah. uh, Dan Aykroyd, Kim Messenger uh, sci-fi comedy.
4: And a very young uh, Alison Hannigan as yeah. well.
0: It's a terrible, terrible film, but the original script is written by a guy about his experience of um, abuse and family abuse.
4: Oh, wow, did that James? And
0: how somebody within your family is hidden and not really what they seem, and he put his heart and soul into the script, and somebody got the idea of, oh, your stepmother's actually an alien, took that <laughs> one concept for it and turned it into like this <laughs> frothy Dan Aykroyd comedy.
3: So, Hazel, where would you put this in, the kind of tiny but interesting genre of comedy sci-fi is <laughs> huge Red Dwarf's huge The Orville I haven't watched but seems like at least touched similar ground do you think this has been influential
1: can I make a confession which is going to change your opinion of me probably dramatically I hate Red Dwarf <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I hate it I've watched ah, probably, about- <laughs> ah, <laughs> probably about i watched about 10 episodes and I can't stand it so much better than that.
0: <laughs> to be fair, the question is which ten episodes did you watch when? Well, like what series?
1: I don't know, just just I've been maybe forced by about ten different people. Like, Hazel, hey, <laughs> watch this, <laughs> watch this every like, oh, Okay. I've no idea when it was, but no. Um Is I, there I, a
0: series I, that has varied in quality as much as The Dwarf yeah. over the years? Future Armour. <laughs> brilliant To oh yeah, future armor perhaps
1: yeah. I do I I do enjoy uh Future Armour. Very much so.
3: Yeah. Red Dwarf, at its best, manages to do big sci-fi ideas. And some of those are really, really good, but they suffer from the BBC limitation that like Doctor Who struggled with decades ago. Something like To the Memory of the Memory of Lisey Yates, which is a time travel story you've never seen before. It does some staggeringly good things.
1: So the original cut of Galaxy Quest received an R rating and DreamWorks insisted it be recut to be more family-friendly because they needed it to go up against Stuart Little of all the films. (laughs) Um, So they cut and edited a lot of scenes for language, violence and sexual content to Mm. end up with a a PG ratings. I don't know, does anyone know if an original cut is out there um, with... More violence and sex, I don't know.
0: I'm a little surprised about that because it is very family-friendly, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, for mm. me, it's, it's a it's a, a family sci-fi film. Perhaps that explains what happened to Sagari Weaver's clothing, perhaps yeah. in the cut scenes.
1: I don't think DreamWorks were happy with what they ended up with either because they devoted very little advertising and the primary trailer used a cut before all of the special effects were completed. So that may have had an impact on the film, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of box office, it did okay. Its budget was around forty five million and it made ninety million worldwide, which isn't huge, but it's I guess it's not a loss um mm-hmm. but what I know is that it's um developed this sort of cult status throughout the years, which has obviously passed me by, but I know that there are a huge amount of fans out there for Galaxy Quest. Have
0: you seen the documentary then hazel uh
1: never surrender, yeah, I hear that's very yeah. good, yeah. Yeah.
4: I watched the documentary uh, a month or two ago and it really made me want to watch the movie again But because the documentary also covers so much of it you think, okay, let's leave a little gap and then I'll yeah. go back to it. But it's it's a good documentary.
1: Yeah, it's basically the cast of Star Trek talking about how much they love the film. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting. Um, would you like some fun facts?
3: Always. Yes, please.
0: Go for it. About the film or just generally? (laughs)
1: About me. (laughs) Um, So Galaxy Quest won the Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation, which is an award won by the original Star Trek series in 1967 and 1968. It is also the film debut of one Rain Wilson, uh, Dwight from the US office who played one of the aliens. And I did remember going, oh, it's Dwight (laughs) when I saw it. Harold Ramis was originally set to direct, but he departed in February 1999 because of casting difficulties, was the official reason. Uh, But basically, he didn't agree with Tim Allen playing the lead. So he kind of departed after that. But after watching it, he said he was ultimately impressed with Tim Allen's performance after seeing the film.
2: Do we know who he wanted?
1: I don't, but I can have a look. Bill
2: Murray.
0: I don't think they were speaking by that point, were
1: they? Not not by 1999, no, certainly not. Uh, no, I can't seem to find who uh, uh, Harold Ramis wanted.
0: I believe Caitlin Jenner and Muhammad Ali both all for the part.
1: Sam Rockwell initially considered declining the role of Guy Fleekman because he was concerned that a comedy role might negatively affect his stature as a serious actor. But he was convinced to do it <laughs> by none other than Kevin Spacey. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a nice man <laughs>
3: still good
0: advice and, and also things Kevin Spacey can try and convince you to do starring in <laughs> Galaxy Quest is
4: <laughs> not the worst by a long way it took me a while to realise that was the same person though it was only going back to the movie like 10 years later you think it's oh, the same guy in Green Mile and it's the same guy in Moon and yeah, it, he's yeah. very different in terms of how the character feels
0: had he not done Hitchhikers prior to Galaxy Quest
2: No, Hitchhikers was 2004. Was it really? So it was about five years later. That's a bad film. Yeah, not good.
3: I've never heard of this film at all. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: It's not a great film, but it's fine. I quite enjoy it.
3: It, It's a film
0: that completely missed the point of the book. Uh, The plot is there, but... All the little fun digressions that make Hitchhikers, make all the wordplay and things mm. like that, are just completely stripped out of it.
4: Yeah, I agree. And it's
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Hitchhiker's Guide
3: to the Galaxy. <laughs> I wondered what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible film.
0: <laughs> so I saw Hitchhikers in Latvia, oddly enough, uh, in a Latvian cinema. And the only time there was any laughter was when a sheep exploded about three quarters away from the film <laughs> and the entire audience was in hysterics. It's bizarre.
1: My last and favourite fact is that at the 2013 Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, fans voted Galaxy Quest the seventh best Star Trek film.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it. I loved it. Just believing in a fantasy for a couple of hours. It was a great antidote. And um yeah, actually it's been a very nice message for these times in terms of never give up, never surrender. So I think I will give it uh oh, nine and a half thermions out of ten. Oh, half a thermion. Um no. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of another nerd fest episode thank you so so much for listening we hope you're doing okay in uh these times we will bring you another episode in two weeks time uh in the meantime check us out on social media we're at Nerdfest uk on twitter and facebook if you enjoyed the episode and you feel inclined to do so it'd be awesome if you could leave us a little review wherever you listen to your podcasts and john has got a very 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 special reward for anyone who does that yes. What what is it today john
0: anyone that does that I will come and stand 1.9 metres away from you for a sense of sexy danger
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh dear Um, see you in two weeks time with more recommendations but until then you've been listening to
2: a man who's been to Davy Jones locker
0: a man who insists on a custom made codpiece for each
4: episode a man who's hallucinated the decor of heaven a man who has a list of unreasonable demands for every podcast.
1: <laughs> a woman who's going to go and stare more at Tom Cruise's bum. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye.
4: Bye. Okay, just trying a trying a connecting to a different router in the house.
2: Tom Cruise's thong. It's
0: very, very wrong.
1: Or oh, very, very right.
2: Tom Cruise has 50 thongs.
1: The dung da-dung, dung dung
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, I can understand how he wants to keep his penis in pristine condition for his b-
3: <laughs> Tom Cruise's thong for sculpting his dung.
1: <laughs> I
4: missed probably anything recent in there.
1: Well, you've got something delightful to listen back to. Yeah. Honestly, you're going to love No
0: it. edits whatsoever necessary.
2: for <laughs> <of those>. No. <laughs>